25 years, it's been a long time. And can you imagine 25 years ago, um, none of the Kingdom Kids Juniors, the Kingdom Kids, uh, Kingdom Kids, nor the Catapultsons, nor the Artuators, none of them were even in existence 25 years ago. They were just a thought, like their parents saying, should we have another, you know, that, that's what basically they were. In fact, uh, a large uh, percentage of our adults here in this room Uh, probably were minors uh, 25 years ago, but it's amazing um, to see how faithful God has been. Hey, I just want to welcome you. Just a couple of announcements. We have festival coming up right around the corner, and this is not only a a time to bless uh, our children, but the kids in the community as well. There's been a lot of buzz. We're also um, using this as an opportunity to bless uh, the Brea Linda Unified School District by trying to raise funds for an uh, enrichment program, for an an after-school enrichment program, especially for those students who couldn't afford it. And so, uh, yeah, please uh, be there um, and come and volunteer and just be there. And also, baptism is coming up. If you're a Christian but have never been baptized, boy, that's what God commands of you. Um, And it's a time to, to show your faith, invite your friends, and to really give glory to God for that. You know, another thing that we do as a church is we, one of our tradition is that when a baby comes to church for the first time, um, if you can come up, um, we take a minute to, to pray for that baby. And, and this is Steve and Jessica, and this is Micah. And Micah is how old? She's two months. Micah is two months old. I know. I know every time we do this, you guys are just like so attentive, but as soon as I'm finished, I'm starting to preach, you guys are not. <laughs> I, I, I know, what do you care about more? She's just looking out. Hey, can we take a minute to pray for Micah? Lord Jesus, we come before you, and we know that all things that we have is by your grace and grace alone. Lord, we know that, uh, that you have brought Steve and Jessica together. And Lord, you have um, taken each one of their uh, DNAs, their personality. And Lord, you have created a whole new human being. And Lord, we behold this human being, uh, Micah, in our arms right now. Lord, but we recognize it's not just uh, Steve and Jessica's, but she is uh, first and foremost the daughter of her heavenly father. And so, Lord, as uh, Steve and Jessica introduce her to our church family, may we embrace her not only in our arms but in our prayers. And, Lord, understand that, Lord, so to many of us, she'll be like a little niece running around. And she'll have aunts and uncles and cousins here. So we thank you that we don't uh, raise uh, children alone, but we do it in the context of a spiritual family. So we thank you. We lift her up into your arms. In Jesus' name we pray. I didn't want to wake her up or make her cry. Hey, um, you know, on this day, I've been uh, debating what kind of a message I should preach, if I should have a uh, standalone message just to celebrate, or we should continue in our series on the book of Acts. And um, ironically or sovereignly, 
the book of Acts in our series today would end today in Acts chapter 28. And I thought how appropriate it is if we just preached what we normally would preach uh, in through the book of Acts expositorily um, on our anniversary service. So if you would, uh, with me, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 28, which is the last chapter in the book of Acts. Last chapter in the book of Acts. And for many weeks, we've been talking about this apostle by the name of Paul, and he's been on a series of missionary journeys, and on this third missionary journey, he was arrested, um, uh, had a series of trials last week, found out he was shipwrecked and all that, and in chapter 28, he arrives at his final destination, and we're going to look at his story as the story of Paul, and then we're going to look at the story of us, all right? Um, So... uh, So Paul was uh, a prisoner, and through a series of storms and shipwrecks, snake bite, and months later, he finally uh, arrives in verse 16. It says, And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So he was chained to a guard, but had freedom to do ministry. Imagine these imperial guards. Uh, being chained to this preacher, this pastor, in six-hour shifts. And what they would experience is uh, watching Paul pray, watching Paul uh, write uh, letters to churches and and, um, his disciples, watching Paul receive guests, uh, and really watch and listening to Paul as Paul would preach to them. And although Paul was a prisoner, what is fascinating is one of the groups that he ministers to or interfaces is with the Romans, uh, Paul with the, the Roman guards, in fact. And so, although he was a prisoner, he did not see that as a liability, but rather, it says in Philippians chapter 1, verses um, 12 and 13, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. What most people would see it, uh, see as a liability in their life, a pain in their life, he saw it as something that Christ can redeem and use. In fact, being in prison, being chained to guards allowed him the ability to, to communicate the gospel to them so that many of those, those, in the, um, many of those who served as guards became Christians, in fact. Um, you know, what's, what's interesting is this, that oftentimes we look at the pains in our lives, uh, the chains in our lives, the storms in our lives, as times that, that God is absent, as times that we just need to hunker down and, and really not do much. On this 25th year anniversary, and I, I felt like just an obligation to talk a little bit about the church and its 25 years history a little bit uh, sprinkled throughout the sermon. But if you were to ask me, uh, Steve, when was it and what are the things that God used the most to mature and deepen living hope? Like what, are the, what are the things that allowed us to deepen uh, living hope? If someone were to ask me, what was it that caused living hope to pray the most, for example? You know, a couple of years ago, we had a, uh, a theme called Let Us Pray. And that was our theme. If you were around, we had those little... Uh, little uh, cavaliers or whatever you call it and engraved on it let us praise and we gave those out to everyone thinking that hey you'll pray more we also had a time when we had a, like a 36 hour um, prayer chain 
at Roland Elementary School for 36 hours, there was either praise, reading of scripture, or prayer going on. Uh, and, and straight throughout, and, and, you know, throughout the middle of the night and such, on, uh, from Friday night to Sunday morning. It was great. But if you ask me, when was it that Living Hope collectively prayed? I mean, really prayed. It's not during those high moments, but to be honest with you, and those of you who've been around Living Hope long enough, you'll know, uh, those times when we really prayed were not those planned times, but it was during those times when when pain was happening, when, um, when someone was in the hospital, some of our dear member, or one of our children was, was sick, and it caused us to fall on our knees, knowing that it was out of our control, out of our hands, and as Peter had said to Jesus, save me, in the same way we got on our knees and, and asked the Lord, save us, save him, save her. Uh, our greatest times of maturity, our greatest times of intimacy with Christ doesn't occur in those planned highlights, but really in those times of storms and times of pain. If someone were to ask me, when was it that living hope really became one? When was it that we had a spirit of unity? Someone may say, uh, perhaps in the building campaign, as uh, our elder Andrew Song had mentioned that we really came together and there's a mosaic that kind of testified to that. Was it that time? And I said, well, that's a great moment. But I would say that, um, and not made, I don't know if everyone would agree, but one of the greatest times of unity didn't occur when we were of the same mind, but when we were of a different mind. Before we moved to Brea a number of years ago, there was a uh, large piece of property in Chino that some of the leaders thought that's where we need to be. We went into escrow, we, and then we had a series of prayer meetings, town hall, um, discussions, and, and the such. And I know some of you are here. And at, at, at the conclusion of it, 65% of the people said, yes, that's where we should go and, and be a church to call home in Chino. Uh, 35% of the people said, no, that's not where we should be. Our bylaw states that we need 67% of the people to say yes, and so uh, we didn't end up going. And although we were of a different mind, I would say this, that we learned through it that it's okay. It's okay to disagree and still be of one mind. And I believe in, in a strange way through that, that in some way a divisive time that that living hope came out more unified, understanding we can have honest, genuine disagreement about such an important thing, but still come out as one church um, because we realize it's not my opinion and my church, but it is Christ's church. Uh, Paul continues as he speaks uh, to the second group of people. He gathers the local Jewish leaders in large numbers. And in verse 23... He, uh, Paul spends time with the Jews. It says, From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. The response is interesting in verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. 
And the, the Greek word isn't simply, I can't believe, I have a hard time believing, but the lexicon's definition uh, translates it this way, they refused to believe. Paul, uh, sensing the hardness of their heart, quotes from the prophet Isaiah, and of all the, the chapters uh, from Isaiah that he can quote from, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. And if you understand Isaiah chapter 6, that's a chapter where the prophet sees a vision of the angels and the holiness of God. And the angels were so awestruck by the holiness of God, they said, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah, uh, beholding God's uh, holiness and his own sinfulness, he said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. We're just, we're, we're so sinful. We, we can't stand before a holy God. And it's from that, uh, that uh, prophecy in which um, Paul quotes from, and he says to the Jewish audience here, For the people's, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And, there's, and Paul is communicating how God is, God's heart is oftentimes broken because he so much wants them to hear, but they oftentimes refuse to hear. You know, um, We've had people uh, come through Living Hope, some really sometimes important people, people who served on, uh, on leadership and strategic roles. And if, if someone were to ask me, uh, Steve, uh, do you wish that, uh, or does it kind of maybe hurt your feeling or make you sad when people move on? And yeah, I mean, there are times, and you know, there's some people when, when they choose to leave the church and, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I wish they would stay. Not not everyone, but you know, most people. Uh, can, uh, but when I see them flourishing at a different spiritual uh, community, I, I I I you know I I rejoice in that. But uh, there have been times in the history of Living Hope over the past twenty five years, there have been people who've moved on. Uh, from living up, but not to any other spiritual community, and they've left the faith, and they're they're no longer walking with Christ. They refuse to believe, and that is what gets me sad the most. The, you know, living hope doesn't have to have everyone, but Christ has to have you. And so Paul goes from um, speaking to the Romans, to Roman guards, and to the Jews, and finally to the Gentiles in verses 28 through 30. And these are the last three verses of the book of uh, Acts. Therefore, let it be known to you that the, the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen in the last two verses. And it's like a movie ending, you know, at the, at the conclusion of a movie, whether it be... Um, um, uh, never mind, Shawshank Redemption or something, where the credits are rolling, the music is playing, and the scene is fading, you know, from afar. And you see in verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And we know from his other letters that he welcomed 
many of his disciples, we welcomed, he welcomed a, a runaway slave, and he was teaching them, encouraging them, exhorting them. He was writing letters. And, and the book of Acts fades with this picture. And the, the, the image that we get is that the gospel work is continuing. It's not finished. Um, every uh, time I come to Living Hope, I go through Carbon Canyon and on Lambert, and on Lambert, I see new homes being built. If you live in Yorba Linda, you, you know that more homes are being built. And you know that more people are moving into the neighborhood, and every time someone moves into the neighborhood, they also need a spiritual community. Um, you know, uh, you know, when we, my wife and I, when we drive by and we go somewhere and we see little kids, and, um, I, you know, we just love kids. We we can't help but to kind of stop and stare a little bit at the little kids. I know it's kind of, kind of creepy, but we just, you know, we just like kids. Um, and, and in this community, we, we see these little kids, and we see those kids in, in elementary schools running around, um, making friends for the first time. We see teenagers at the local junior high school or high schools, and uh, we see them going to homecoming Oh my goodness, watching these kids go to homecoming, right? Uh, But do you realize that our kids nowadays are growing up in a different world than you and I grew up in? They're growing up in what is known as a post-Christian culture. You and I grew up in a culture, in America at least, where being a Christian provided a a social advantage. That if if we said, I'm a Christian or I, I belong to a church, there was an advantage to that. Now... Our kids are growing up in a culture where, when if they say, I uh, am a Christian, I believe the Bible, and, and this, these are some of the things that the Bible teaches, that would be a social disadvantage. And so we, could, we need to continue to proclaim the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ to our new neighbors, to the children, uh, to the teenagers, and to the collegians who are coming through. That is Paul's story. But what is a little bit frustrating is how the book of Acts uh, ends. Because we were told earlier, even as Paul became a Christian and, and he will proclaim the gospel to even the kings, and there were some prophecies made by angels that you will stand before Caesar. And so the question is, well, what happens? Does Paul get to stand before Caesar? Does he get to preach the gospel? Did Caesar respond rightly? Does Paul live happily ever after? What happens at the end of the story? And so a a simple question is this. Why is there not an Acts chapter 29? Why does it end so ambiguously? And the partial answer is this. The reason why there is not an Acts chapter 29 is that the story is not about Paul. It is not a a biography of Paul. Um, It is neither a biography or a story of highlighting Peter's life or Philip's life. Nor is it a story about a particular church. It's not about the church at Jerusalem or the church at Antioch or the church at Ephesus. Uh, God moved in all three of those churches, but it's not about them. Nor is it about a particular tribe or a people group. It's not about the Jews. It's not about the Greeks. It's not about a particular people group. 
And in the same way, the gospel we hold on to is not about me, it's not about you, and it's not about our church or Living Hope Community Church, nor is it about a tribe that we belong to. You know, it's about much more than that. And oftentimes, and one of the huge mistakes that people make, uh, and especially in the church, is just, it, and they don't do it intentionally, but it happens unintentionally. Um, we make it about an individual. Or we make it about, uh, if, you, if you have a good, healthy organization or a, a church, you make it about the church. Or if you're part of a movement, you, you make it about the tribe that you belong to. You know, I, um, a lot of you know that I, I, um, my, my hospital that I go to is St. Jude's. It's not too far from here on Fullerton, and some of our people work there. Um, I looked up St. Jude's uh, website and found out that the mission statement of St. Jude's is just an expression of God's healing love witnessed through the ministry of Jesus, we are steadfast in serving all, especially those who are poor and vulnerable. St. Jude's apparently has a very charitable kind of a history. Its vision is this, health for a better world, health for a better world. Now, I want you to think with me. If a medical institution and a hospital believe that the, the reason why it existed is for a particular individual, we exist so that this particular staff member can get paid really well or can become famous and have lots of followers. Or, or what if the, the medical institution believes the reason why it exists is so that it can create a monopoly, that St. Jude exists so that it can create a, a medical monopoly and drive out all other medical institutions from North Orange County. We're going we're gonna to drive out Kaiser. And we're going to have a monopoly. Or what if St. Jude's uh, uh, vision is to uh, really devote themselves to that family of the St. Joseph's. Um, and we will continue to, ex- to grow and brand itself and, and protect our, our intellectual properties. Uh, I think you and I would agree that, uh, yeah, maybe some uh, hospitals or, or Medical offices can hold to those types of philosophies, but it would be a shame because uh, it doesn't, I mean, those medical practices shouldn't exist for the glory of an individual to protect its market share or to increase a brand. But rather, it, it should exist, as St. Jude has said, for a health for a better world that if, if they gain knowledge on how to treat a, a patient in a certain way, that they should be able to pass that knowledge on to their competitors, to other hospitals, to, to, to hospitals and doctors uh, uh, later, across the, across the world even. That a, that a hospital should understand that it's not about a doctor, it's not about their hospital, it's not about their... Um, tribe of hospitals, but it should exist for the sake of bringing healing and wholeness to those who need it from from that generation and on. I think a lot of people in medicine just intuitively understand that, but it's so strange the church doesn't intuitively understand that. 
that we oftentimes think that it's all about me, it's about you, it's about our church, you know, it's about our tribe. You know, I don't want you to misunderstand. Uh, God has been gracious in sending us some great, great people throughout the years. Some 25 years ago when my wife and I first drove our little U-Haul and we had our um, Toyota um, wagon attached to it and we drove up to our apartment complex in Chino Hills. I still remember it was a bright, sunny day. And um, this young man was waiting in front of our apartment to help us to move in. It was Richard Kim. And he's still here at Living Hope today. And he, uh, most of you don't know him, but he normally comes to the first service at 8 o'clock every Sunday. And, and, you know, he, he comes before 8 o'clock, of course, uh, to help you know, pass out bulletins and, and be a, a usher. You know, I can't tell you how grateful I am to my wife and I or to Richard. He, you know, he's just there. He's just present. Um, I appreciate Mike and Liz. As um, Liz had kind of shared, um, they started coming to our church, and it was crazy, about eight people or something. About, and, and, you know, and Liz and her friend are the ones that I asked, like, you know, why are you at our church? We don't have a college group. And uh, to be honest, I think the only reason they stayed at our church is because, uh, you know, we fed them in this Asian guilt. Oh, this older person fed me, and they, you know, and she, he's asking, "Are you going to come next?" You go, "Oh, what do I do?" You know. And after a while, this thing called chung, you know, this like, um, it's a Korean word that that means like once you kind of get familiar with someone, you just kind of have to do it. But whether they were in Chicago or San Francisco, uh, they're still a part of our church family, and and now they're leading a cell group down at Long Beach. Uh, Christine was a toddler when we started the church, and um, and she was just yeah just running around. And twenty five years later, she's a full grown adult, um, serving as a primer in different ways. And these are people on our uh, the dedication picture that are still present and active. But there are other people on that picture who are no longer at Living Hope, uh, like physically. Uh, For example, James and Angeline, they were primers when they, or singles, when they uh, first joined the church, but, you know, somewhere along the way, they got married, and they were one of the first uh, marriages that that occurred at Living Hope, and they're still serving faithfully in Kyrgyzstan as missionaries. Stephen and Helen Hahn, um, they uh, were at our church, and now they are at, they are at Young Lap Celebration Church, now called New Stories Church, being um, pastors there. Nick Lee was a young uh, man um, in that picture, and now he's a youth pastor in Diamond Bar nearby. Tony and Sarah, and only Sarah was in that picture, but Tony came later on. But they became missionaries to Indonesia, served there for over a decade, and are now pastoring out in the East Coast. You know what that tells me? That it's not about a person. It's not about an individual, but an individual can be a chapter as a part of a larger book. And in each of our lives, we have certain chapters that we write. And certain chapters we write, we, we, we write in a particular context. And then God may turn the chapter and allow us to be a part of another story. 
And in the same way, the, the story of living hope has different people coming through, um, writing different chapters. It's not about me, it's not about me, it's not about living hope, it's not about our tribe, but it's about someone else. If you ask me what is it then the story is all about, why is it that Acts ends so ambiguously, and the reason why Acts ends so ambiguously is because the author um, and God is trying to tell us, the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us, it was never about Paul. It was never about a particular church. It was never about his tribe, but it was about someone else. The thesis statement to the book of Acts is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The protagonist is not Paul or any other individual. The protagonist, the one moving the story along, is the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit uses, uh, used Peter, used uh, Philip, used Paul. And the, and the person whose story is told about is, is not any of them or any of the churches, but you shall be my witnesses. And it's Jesus saying, you will talk about me. I'm the one who is to be spotlighted, highlighted. It's my story that you are to tell. History tells us that Paul was in prison for about two years. He was arrested um, and he was released. Later, he was arrested again. And about the year 67, the situation changed dramatically. And he wasn't simply under house arrest, but he was in prison in prison. And in one of his last letters, his letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy, it was really sad. He writes from a dungeon cell and he he says that a lot of his friends have left him. He's been abandoned and he's alone. Bring his cloak. Tradition tells us that in AD 67, 68 AD, they ended his life through a beheading. We know this somewhat from history and tradition, but that story is not told to us in the book of Acts, and the reason being that the book of Acts is not about Paul. Paul is merely a chapter in the grander story. There was a story before Paul, and there was a story after Paul. The first story is that of Jesus. And Paul played one of the chapters, and there will be many chapters after him, chapters that you and I are playing. You know, I grew up in an immigrant church. It was a small Korean Presbyterian immigrant church. Um, and it was really small. They didn't have much. And it was very immigrant. Uh, they didn't have uh, multiple staff. They just had one pastor. And I think in order to compensate for the fact he didn't have uh, staff, he paid staff, so he had just lots of children and put them to work. So one of his sons acted as the youth director, and he wasn't trained, but he, what he did was he drove us around and had us play basketball and bought us jajangmyeon or Chinese noodles. Uh, one of the other sons um, you know, sat down with me at, at the steps of the church, and I still remember this day. He asked me, you know, Steve, are you a Christian? I said, I don't know, and he led me to Christ. I'll be honest with you. I don't remember a single, I don't remember a single message that that pastor preached. And, um, you know, partially it might have been he was not a very good preacher, 
uh, but to be honest, it was because I didn't understand Korean. But I would sit there listening. But that church was a chapter that played an integral role to who I am today. And, and many of you have chapters that, were, that was written before you that allowed you to come to faith in who you are today. I think sometimes we forget the chapters that were written before us. And we have to also remember the chapters that will come after us. That we are not the final chapters, but it, we are part of an unfinished chapter that we are writing. A few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I were sitting at the patio. I think it was one of the lunch breaks, and we were on a table, and there was um, another family there, a, a longtime family, and uh, one of their boys was a high school uh, son. And um, I, you know, I was asking, so, um, you know, you grew up at our church. What did, how is Living Hope different from other churches? kind of assuming that he probably had an opportunity to visit other churches uh, with his friends and such, but he said, I, I don't know, i never I've really been to any other church. And I realized, yeah, he was born at our church, and he just, living hope is all he knew. He said, well, I've talked to some of my friends, and I, and I, I visited on a Friday night some other churches, but living hope is really all I've known. But you know, it occurred to me, for a lot of our uh, kids who grew up at our church, they, they think that all churches are like living hope. That, yeah, I mean, don't all churches have VBS that attract hundreds of kids? Don't all churches have people um, that um, when they, once they become members, they stay for decades? That's not how all churches operate. Don't all churches um, have people whom, as you grow up, you, you, you call aunts and uncles, and there are these adult figures that you become friends with? Aren't all churches like that? And I realized that he was telling me, um, in some ways, uh, a new chapter that he will help to write later on. And that by the chapter that we have written, we are helping to write the chapter that he will write. And not only him, but all all the others who will come who are not here yet. I was talking to someone one time, and we were talking about the history of Living Hope. Living Hope has existed for 25 years, and I don't know if you know this, but for 25 years, we've never had a year, listen carefully, we've never had a year where our general offering decreased compared to the previous year. Our giving has always gone up. And for 25 years, our average attendance, except one year when and we were planted out of, Living, uh, out of Good Source Church, Every year, our attendance has grown every year. All I've known and all most of our people have known is, yeah, the church just grows every year. You know, yeah, how much, how much uh, is our budget going to grow this year, that type of an attitude. But as I was having this conversation with this man, he said, yeah, but that's not going to happen forever. I mean, we're, we're going to get to a point where living hope doesn't grow. And I was kind of struck at what he was saying. I realized, yeah, that's true. Living up can't grow forever. We'll come to a time when we stagnate living up as an organization or even decrease. Or, 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 or may even come to a point where living hope no longer exists as an institution. 
the story is not about you or me. The story is not about living hope even. And it's a mistake if we, uh, on our 25th anniversary, think what a great church we have, as if to say living hope is the protagonist in the story that we need to applaud. Because it's not. It's Jesus. He's the one who's moving. He's the one who we need to remember. You know, one of the things that I was grateful for, like when we moved into this property, uh, we had a capital campaign, and, and we made a big, you know, like we made brochures, and we did all sorts of stuff. Um, and we got our church, come on, let's, you know, we had a big vision day, and uh, et cetera, and um, people pledged. And in the span of about two years, we collected a million dollars a little over a million dollars, and we're so grateful that that, and then we used that money to renovate the sanctuary and then allowed us to move in and, and be here permanently. Um, I was grateful for that. But you know what I was like almost more grateful for? This last year when we had, and when we were convicted that there's this town in La Paz, Honduras, and that they needed a church, and children will gather and so we announced this campaign called Love Honduras. I, I'm sure many, if not most of you were here. And, and this is how much we need to raise. Uh, within a span of three weeks, we raised nearly $100,000. Uh, to a church that most of you will never see, for a group of people uh, most of you will never meet, because we, you realize and what I realize, it's not about me or you. It's not about living hope. It's about Jesus Christ becoming known to the remotest parts of the world. To bring healing to those who are hurt. And as we turn the chapter, uh, I hope we realize we're just one of many chapters that are being written, that's being written. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we thank you for the chapter that we are able to write. And we pray for your continued grace upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.